0: Listener production.
1: Okay, are you recording?
0: G'day, you are listening to episode 68 of the Howie Games, part B, where we are continuing on from part A in telling the incredible story of surfing superstar Tom Carroll. Enjoy. You're talking about the... You're talking about... I was asking you about being a a multiple world champion Mm -hmm. in the middle of the 80s, and you were talking about ego, and there was no more, I don't know, in our history... Of evolution, ego filled times, I guess, in the 80s with the Mm. color and the hair, Mm. and there was a lot Mm. of money around. And Mm. what was life like in the 80s as a recognizable athlete Mm. with success at their feet? And I presume people Mm. throwing everything you wanted Mm. towards you, whether it was money or cars or Mm. women or I don't know. I haven't been there, Tom, but you have.
2: Oh it was um fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the answer I was after. Uh, yeah,
2: it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was yeah, it was um very vibrant, super vibrant times. We um and it was very free compared to now. Mm. Um uh, it was, it, was, it got pretty loose. <laughs> In what as way? As human, I think I think as far as We just didn't know what we were getting ourselves into a lot of the times and, you know, we were pretty, just just pretty loose with things, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty free and loose times. Um, um, And sometimes it got uh, pretty dog-eat-dog. There was no, you know, you'd really find out who were your friends, that's for sure. And sometimes I didn't. I wasn't that much of a, I wasn't a great friend either, just through my competitive drive. I think, um, yeah, I'd sort of, that the competitive kind of animal inside me would spill out into, you know, friendships and and things like that, which, you know, uh, I became, you know, I became a bit of a competitive animal. I think that, uh, and that has its downfalls too because you, you just don't recognise another part of yourself. You just sort of go blind. So how do you
0: not lose yourself? How do you not go oh. too far away from the 17-year-old that went off to Hawaii, mm. Hawaii for the mm. first time? Uh, well, with good relationships. I
2: think, Yeah, you know, uh, in that really competitive animal I was talking about before, I think I'd lost my... Um, that's where I start to lose my, my friendships. I think um, I I could, I I put them at jeopardy. Okay. Uh, In some cases I needed to uh, in order to branch out from my home. I needed to get out of that kind of zone which was, you know, because there was quite a strong tall poppy syndrome here in Australia.
0: Still is, unfortunately. Yeah,
2: and it tries to sort of squash down this sort of, reach for excellence, which is available to us all. Yeah. You know? uh, but I think that Aussie mongrel in me, you know, kind of, kind of, and that wanting to kind of branch out and, and look beyond myself and out into the world uh, was pretty strong. It was a bit stronger.
0: You, you surfed in part of your world title built on the South African leg. Of the Mm. tour at that stage um, Which was in the midst of apartheid Mm. And then you made I don't know if courageous is the right word You made a decision To come out against the regime For want of a better term And said you weren't going to surf there Mm. Before you get to that decision Why you did that What was life like as a surfer In South Africa In the apartheid years Did you see it Or did you not see it Was it in your face Or you know, we've watched docos and read books about white toilets, coloured toilets, mm. white beaches, mm. coloured areas. Was it like that in your face
2: yeah. from a historical point of view? Yeah, that's the way it was for me. Was it? Yeah, it was in my face. And uh, But if you're a white South African, uh, growing up as a white South African, um, it was probably not as... It was probably quite black and white for them, <laughs> literally, black yeah. and white. They... You know, that's the way it was. The that's way you, life that, was. That, 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 that's the way it was. But, but from, from a bloke from here. From a bloke from here, like, yeah. you know, pretty sheltered place, really. Yep. In um, yeah, a bit of a cocoon here. And um, as I, 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 I kind of knew knew that back then. And also uh, travelling over there with other surfers from Hawaii and, and actually those Hawaiians being looked, you know, being turned away from certain public venues. You'd experience that? Yeah, I watched, I saw that happen and Jeez. I was going, this, you know, this is... And one of my friends from Maroobra, Steve Wilson, his name, you know, Steve Wilson, looked like a coloured person. Yeah. Uh, he was one of us. He was, he was just a bloke and he was turned down. We, we, we had to go watch out where we went with him because... Um, and... Huh. The more that happened, the more I realised, like, I can't buy into this anymore. And as I stood, you know, got myself to the point where I was world champion and, in particular, had a, a, a platform to express my feelings around it and actually make a stand. And
0: carry influence. And
2: carry influence, like, the main thing, carry influence... And not to be seen as someone who supported it in the public eye in particular because once the public eyes on you you feel a sense of i mean i felt a sense of um responsibility as a a person in right. this world and i think uh an enormous sense of responsibility so how did you announce it to the world i did it through the press
0: um, Wait, you're just in the middle of an yeah, interview. You dropped in, in that I'm not going?
2: Yeah, I'm not going to go to South Africa, yeah. And how big a and story was that? It got big pretty quick. I did it see It got big pretty quick. Did you know very, it would get as big as it did? Uh, I didn't realise it was going to blow up in my face like the way it did. Why, and, how did it
0: blow up in your face? Uh,
2: I think, uh, well, it, because it came from a natural place inside me. And I didn't really have the maturity on board in order to really take necessary precautions to tell specific people before I was going to do it. OK? Uh, it came out in, in an interview, just in an interview, just as you mentioned, uh, only because it was on my mind for quite some time that. And it was just the opportune moment in the interview when they asked me, and I said, I'm
0: not going to do it. Was it a, was it a, a, a surf mag, or was it, was it a, a television? No, it was a newspaper. A newspaper, newspaper uh, right. Olivia, yeah. Well, they got so, the headline.
2: Yeah, they got the headline. And, um,
0: were, were you, um, did you receive any type of thanks, it's probably not the right word, but from people involved in South Africa? Yes.
2: Yeah, uh, eventually, um, the ultimate thank you came from Nelson Mandela. That is the ultimate to, thank you. I uh, got oh, wow. have a meeting with, with him with, uh, well, uh, Bob Hawke uh, introduced me to Nelson Mandela. Did he? And, uh, and it was extraordinary, extraordinary moment because I, Bob Hawke came to my aid because I was actually sponsored by Instinct Clothing at the time and I had like a year and a half where I was with Instinct in between uh, a kind of a hiatus from Quicksilver who dropped me Uh, And I'd take instinct came to support me and which was run by um, Sean Thompson a South African surfer at the time Mm -hmm. one of my heroes to be honest uh, as a surfer and and uh, That company was run uh, partially out of California and partially out of Durban South Africa and um, by some people uh, associated with Sean and this uh, decision, I hadn't communicated with them, and they put an injunction on me to not go and get sponsored by anybody else in the surfing uh, ah. in the surfing world. So, uh, and they they were very upset, and you know it's very reasonable for them to be very upset about it. I hadn't communicated anything to them, and uh, you know that was my lack of ability to communicate clearly uh, with people around me at the time. As a kid, really at twenty. Three years old. Um, and Bob Hawke got involved. And Bob Hawke got involved. He saw... He he loved the idea of the young Australian two-time world champion. He's the PM made at a stand. the time. He's the Prime Minister at the time. He thought, fantastic. How's this young guy, two-time world champion, surfer? And back then, you know, you really weren't... I was really in the public eye. I would had a, um, a manager who'd been pushing me into the public eye for some time, already a year and a half to two years with him. And... This was, uh, uh, you know, I've been working in the mainstream for a little while within the media and stuff, and then to make this decision and go forward, and then then Bob Hawke just went, "Wow, this young guy's, you know, someone to to know, get involved with, get, wow. get involved with." And um, so Bob, thank God, he came along and said, "Oh, we'll give you all the you know legal help we can, and uh, and and support you in um, in." in um, defending this injunction against you. So uh, I didn't need that. They dropped it. And I was able to take a sponsorship back up again with Quicksilver.
0: And he connected Mm. you with Nelson Mandela? Yeah, down the track
2: there was a... Nelson Mandela came to talk after he was freed Mm. in uh, 95, 94. I think it was 94. I think you're right. He came to Sydney and had a um a chalk he was doing a talk tour and we went and had some you know sit down dinner and listen to nelson mandela talk and it was a wonderful talk he commanded such a presence mandela when he stood in a room it was an extraordinary feeling and to be honest i didn't make this uh stand for Nelson Mandela, it was just an overall stand. I did it for him and everyone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but to actually come in contact with this person who'd, who'd you know, spent twenty-eight years in prison, Robin Island, you know, in Robin Island, and <laughs> and to be freed and be there and leading the country, and uh, and Bob having a relationship with him, he was at the dinner as well. And I went down to see Bob right at the end of the talk, and Bob said, I've got to introduce you to him. So, as soon as Nelson Mandela got off the stage, Bob took me up to him, and we got to have a three-way conversation about, um, and Bob gave him the whole rundown about, you know, my stand, and Nelson Mandela shook my hand and thanked me because of He said, in his words, "I needed all the help that I could get." Wow, Mm. that's
0: a great story, Tom.
2: Yeah, it was pretty. It was amazing, and um, yeah, it makes me pretty uh, emotional, and I kind of get really. um At that point, it gave me a uh, a real solid ground within myself about my decision. There'd been some, a lot of shaky, not. Not that it wasn't shaky when I made the decision. It was just who I was and this is what I was going to do. But there was a l- so many things that had tried to hit me from the side yeah. to try and destabilise me on that decision. And that meeting really set me down in solid ground. Mm. Tom?
0: You mentioned your brother. I'm just going to go back because I read it again. Mm. I got it when it came out. And I spoke to you on the radio about it and when I initially emailed mm. you, I said mm. we got to chat for five minutes and yeah. it left me with a hole because it needed to be a longer discussion. Yeah. Your brother Nick wrote your biography, T.C. Tom Carroll. Mm. Um, I wish he was here to congratulate him on the book that he, that it's he wrote. brilliant
2: work, isn't oh,
0: it? It's – I don't know who displayed more courage in this book. You, by opening up and allowing him to tell your story or him – who revealed himself, not always in the best light throughout mm. the whole book. It, mm. It's an extraordinary read. But but reading it, I guess the headline that comes out of it is addiction. Yes, addiction. Um, mm. And I don't know you very well, so mm. it's not something I can just launch into. But <laughs> It's all right. Um, I, reading this book, I don't think a lot of you... Friends would have even known what you were going through mm. until they probably got their hands on this manuscript. It's yeah. a courageous book by both of you, I reckon.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I really feel honoured to have a brother like Nick. I mean, oh. without that connection, this sort of thing can't come about. You know, the connection, addiction's the opposite to connection. So the antidote to addiction is connection. And that book is that real connection. Uh, it's, a, it, it's sort of like a, a manual to connection. <laughs> so, you know, to read, go through that book and sort of soak it in the way you have, you saw that there was a very strong connection oh. and a tie that's so powerful and strong it's a, that, that, uh, that, that can't, you can't be broken. But um, addiction will try and sort of deny it. Addiction will try to push away. And uh, the addict inside me will try and sort of find a way to try and weasel its way in to disconnect. So it's a, it's a, tricky, it's a tricky proposition and, and our ego is really tied into addiction. And so it's a very important thing to address
0: consistently on a daily basis. Well, well mm. the way you addressed it, in the book And you talk about I asked you about The excess of the 80s before mm. And you know You were You were involved In an industry And you were to, to Cocaine Etc mm. But every time I turn on the news now There's another story About a burglary Or a break-in Or a robbery Or something that's linked To ice Yeah Which Became a major problem For you mm. How did you get If you don't mind me asking How did you get involved In that Tom In mm. the ice
2: It's it was funny because I wasn't really... I, I, I didn't mind the cocaine. <laughs> you know, it sort of lifted me above the line. But it... Uh, and, and it was a problem for me, for sure, in the earlier... Um, in, through the 90s. What does that mean, lifted you above the line? Yeah, well, it's sort of my, my feeling around things, I sort of felt like I was a little bit below the line. In my, in my nature, I'd be slightly depressed. Okay. you know, any kind of slight sort of, you
1: now know, I and, and you I
2: and 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 a lot of the highs of of my sport and and my career kind of took me to those really big highs and above the line above the line a lot and and surfing actually helps me stick stay above the line. It's pretty pretty cool, the way the ocean does that and and actually saved my ass <laughs> in many many ways. But uh, and still does. But it's. Um, To sort of keep that thing going, to you know, and have that feeling that I could take something to keep me going, and it be sort of freely given to me at at early days, uh, um, and have the taste of it. Uh, I didn't know that down the track, that that energy that I was using to win, to drive myself forward, to succeed, to you know, and then to mix that in with a narcotic that was linked into another part of my psyche that was, you know, that was gripping onto it, like, and started to sort of... I wanted to get control of other things in my life, but I couldn't. And then the feeling of being controlled by taking a drug as powerful as cocaine mm. or even, not to much lesser extent, alcohol, which I didn't really like. But um, it was real gripping on to something that lifted me above the line. And um, that's a part of me. That's, you know, like I love that adrenaline state. And um, that was evident in the way I surfed and the way I pushed myself and the way I drove myself. And
0: the way you lived your life. And and the way I lived my life. So do you remember when you first took ice and what it... Mm. Well, the ice... It's 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 gripped mm. the world. Mm. So why does it grip people? What Mm. does it do to you, Tom, that it's causing so much havoc?
2: Uh, Well, what it does is um, my experience with ice is that um, it came along at a time when I had a lot of challenges in my life or I was perceiving uh, a lot of challenges that I needed needed to to get the energy in order to... And when I tasted uh, amphetamines, it was before having the ice, which is crystal meth amphetamine, which is a strong form of um, amphetamine and a quick-acting and a long-acting amphetamine, um, a form of the... And, and a purer form of amphetamine. Uh, and something that um, didn't make me feel like I was out of control at first. In fact, it helped me feel like I was clear-headed, focused, uh, functional. It, 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 it made me feel like I was performing at a high level. Uh, and more engaged. Mm. And that's exactly the way I like to be. I like to feel like I'm engaged with people. I feel like I'm act- actively functional. I feel like I'm connecting with you and I like that feeling. And uh, when when I got that heightened response from the chance of tasting it, uh, because I'd taste that, Drug in the late 90s, and it really didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't affect me the way it did when I tried it in 2001. When it really hit me, when a lot of responsibility was on my shoulders, more more than normal, I felt challenged in many different ways. In a sense, I just felt like I needed to be really functional and really on point. And when I tasted it again in 2001, it just seemed to link in with my pathology. Um, it's a. I can see it. You know, when it when it grips in, when something that um, seems to hit the mark at that level, uh, and it it lasts for a long time, you don't. Appear to have to take that much of it at first, and at first, let me pinpoint that. Right. Like, at first, because our body gets used to it, and you have to take more, and uh, and and we start to lose control of our power around it. We just become more and more powerless, and uh, it takes control eventually. With its adi- our addictive nature starts, and and I say our addictive nature. It's not the drug. It's us. It's not the drug itself. So uh, m- make that really clear again. Like I think ice, uh, if you want to call it ice, because it's a kind of a dis- distortion of what's actually in the fridge. <laughs> mm. It's actually crystal methamphetamine. Crystal methamphetamine will. Um, come underneath the radar, this is my experience, and grip hold of the psyche that wants to achieve more and wants to be sharp and wants to be... Uh, ..and actually sees the results of, of being more productive. So in our world today, what's it asking us to be?
0: Work, 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 produce, produce, produce.
2: There we go. So we've got a link. We've got this thing that's linking in perfectly. So... The, it, we're at a time which is extremely um, dangerous as far as those two things matching in kind of like the perfect link you know so maybe post Vietnam War you've got this want to escape you've got this time where people are rebellious they want to disconnect from uh, society so you've got heroin so that's a, yeah. a powerful kind of LSD uh, uh, LSD, and, and let's escape, let's get out of here, let's check out. So the drug so fit the time. Fits the time, not saying that um, mm. people don't want to check out. Now they either want to check out or want really engaged. So human experience and ad- addiction is, is is very much linked in. So the human experience... Today, when I see it on a, on a whole on mass, today um, it, this will match in with that and link in. It's like a it's like the perfect jigsaw mm. um, puzzle piece just fitting
0: in. How did you hide it? Did, did you? Mm. How did you hide it from those around? Did you like go and hide in the mm. car and mm. smoke an ice pipe, or like, how do you hide it from those that see you day in day out? It's pretty easy. Is, is it? I mean,
2: yeah, it's really easy to hide um, at first. Because you don't really need to use much. Okay. And so it's very simple and easy to hide. It's not... Um, it's just this very... You don't need much. Uh, and so for a while there, it's quite... You know, it was for me. I was, I, was, I was up with, you know... That sneaky addict in me was already there. And it was like the perfect storm. So you got this drug that was much more manageable for me at first than any other drug I'd ever taken... Uh, and I loved the feeling of changing the way I felt. Mm. So this thing changed the way I felt. I went, you know, I would just, just went, could hide it easy. I didn't look like I was on anything, uh, you know. Whereas on cocaine, it, I was real. I was an easy, easy target. If I was drinking alcohol, it was an easy target. If I was smoking pot, which I, I didn't like smoking pot. I didn't like drinking alcohol, but if it was there, I'd do it, and it was. It was an easy. I was just an easy take
0: on that. how so would you stop it? Oh man, and I'm sure that's a 19-hour mm. answer. But mm-hmm. how did you stop it? Uh, or sort why of, did you stop it? Probably more uh, importantly, it, you know, circumstances in my life
2: uh, conspired against me <laughs> uh, using this drug, uh, and people around me loved me, and I think. And by then I was completely disconnected with loving myself, so I couldn't see that coming. I couldn't see that coming. I thought I was doing pretty good. <laughs> right. It's like that, you know. It's like if you see Monty Python with those arms, the guy with his, it's just his a flesh wound. Off. Yeah, it's just a flesh wound. I'm fine. It's <laughs> a know, scratch. Like, yeah, it's just a little scratch. <laughs> come on, come on. You know, you know. It's like you know, it's 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 insane. It's a completely insane, but. You know, you think everyone's, you know, what are you talking about? I'm all right. There's nothing wrong with me. Uh, Tom, no, you're not all right, you know. This is going on. I'm. You know, I'm looking at my wife and she's got, she's crazy and and she's looking at me and she's just devastated. She's just, I'm going, what's wrong? Right. You know, so, and it's all falling apart. Your life just falls apart. And in addiction, active addiction, as we go deeper into it, alcoholism and active addiction uh just starts taking it's like it's the great remover it starts taking everything away from you uh and you can't see it and it's the trickiest trickiest disease and i'll call it a disease because i'm in disease so i have to medicate that disease and that It's the only thing I know that tells me that I'm all right and it's all happening. I'm inflicted. So it needs to be um, treated on a physical level, level, an emotional level and and on a spiritual level. It has to be addressed on these levels uh, and it has to be uh, worked on on a continuous basis. It can't be ignored. So... How
0: long have you been clean now? I don't even know if that's the right term to
2: use. Yeah, clean. But, clean's over. Um, yeah, since I've got a date, I'll always remember. Right. Uh, that's the 18th of December, 2006. So
0: nearly 12 years ago, 11 and a half yeah, years ago. Yeah, mm. um, And again, I never know if I should say in this situation, mm. well done. I don't know if well done's the right <laughs> bloody term, mate. I, I Oh, I don't know. No, I don't know either. Yeah. But so 11 and a half I years I think ago. I'd
2: say thank you because, like, to you for bringing it up because it's a really lovely way of saying it, you know. I don't know what, you know, thank you for reading the book and oh. thank you for, because it's, because it, the, the fact is it, it wasn't me. It was actually a lot of help by other people. I just came in and was open to that help, okay, and... It takes us to be drawn down onto our knees uh, or in the fetal position before we kind of sort of... Because we're so damn willful... Because many, many times said, oh, you've got no willpower. Um, I mean, I think I've got too strong a willpower and that willpower can bring me undone. So where it was working for me in competition, eventually that willpower may work against me and I don't know where that point that point yeah. uh, where the tool it works as a tool for me and then all of a sudden it works as a, a weapon against me that's, that's the tricky point I'll never quite know that I need to be connected to a good source of input a trustworthy source of input uh, of, of feedback of I need to be surrounded by trustworthy and be connected to input that I trust.
0: And, uh, and, and that's the basis of recovery. Mm. The basis of recovery, people that struggle in this area, Tom, they mm. always say that it is always there. I, I don't know if that's the case for you. Mm. Eleven and a half years ago, is it still, does it still try and grab you?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's still really alive and kicking. Right. It's not a, it's not something that just goes away. I don't think it's... I'm, I'm saying that uh, I, I love to go and do the recovery program, the 12-step program. I think that, you know, doing meetings and, and so on really... It's so really, you, go to, you go to the yeah, NA yeah, meetings yeah. and stand up and... Yeah, I think it's super important. It just reminds me of where I could go. Right. <laughs> because you see people, you know... And people relapse a lot and uh, and I get to help people,
0: newcomers come in and and so I connect with it. Uh, Is it difficult as a, if it's me and I'm struggling with that and I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm there's 11 faceless people, but if Tom Carroll walks in and I'm aware of him in public mm-hmm. life, all eyes are going to be on you. Mm. Is that difficult or not?
2: Yeah, it's tricky sometimes. Uh, but after a little while being in that, Room, it disappears. Right, and then you. And just I'm talking. thankful for that because I think so thankful because it's really you know that all eyes on me kind of thing is just my ego playing games. If I can get to that point, um, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay today, and I think. Uh, but if I, you know, get that all eyes are on me, and that's a fearful yeah thing that fear can, can really distort my vision and, and,
0: and what I'm looking at is everything's become scary. Just to finish this topic, mm. um, last night I watched mm. um, you speak to Liz Hayes alongside your brother on 60 mm. Minutes, yeah. um, which was probably five years ago yeah. now, I don't know. Mm. Um, and you, one of your daughters, maybe your eldest daughter popped up in the story and I thought, mm. oh, that's interesting. Tom's obviously agreed that his daughter can speak about it, mm. which I thought was courageous in the first place. And she was only a small part of the story, but Liz asked her something on the lines of, you know, what do you think about it all? And she said, oh, I'm just so proud of my dad. Mm. Um, and it makes me emotional thinking about mm. it now. What mm. a, It wasn't the response I expected, but it, it mm. was a... Um, because obviously your family lived through it with you. It was yeah. a beautiful response from your daughter. Mm. I think that might have been your oldest daughter. Yeah, yeah, Jenna. She, um...
2: You know, I think uh, if anyone's going to be really affected by my kind of secretive behaviour or just disappearing acts <laughs> that addiction creates, uh, active addiction, um, untreated disease, um, she would probably be the first one to be affected by it right. uh, and be the one affected by it for the length because this, this disease sort of filters down through the family. Uh, just through um, learned behaviour, and I, you know, um, so I, I'm, you know, deeply thankful for her response there. I mean, it's like a, and that's a spirit thing too, you know. Like, um, if we can get some healing around our spirit, uh, and sort of notice it being born out through the ones that we love that are close to us. Mm. And then it sort of emanates further out to other ones that, you know, and I think if that's the stuff that's going on, then that's the gold. Like, hmm. that is the gold that I'm searching for. Um, well, it's evident uh, evident in life and it's just a beautiful thing that. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I, um, I'm so blessed to have three wonderful daughters um, that are on their path you know, and, and I know that today just by being in recovery and no matter what's going on today, I don't have to use or drink. I don't have to change the way I feel. That I can actually be here 100 plus percent for my daughters if anything goes down for mm. them. They can call me and they feel safe with me. I think, man, if, if anything, the gift of that in recovery is... And having that been borne out through the suffering of active addiction is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's an amazing finish. mm. More of Tom in a moment. The previous episode of the Howie Games featured a man whose sporting career took him from an AFL ground to an NFL field. Ben Graham has had an incredible journey, to say the least.
1: I punted that night and did okay, and then I punted again against the Chiefs back in New York week four. And thinking everything was fine, um, all they were waiting was for the other guy that his hamstring to get healthy, and then they released me. Same tap on the shoulder. It was actually team photo day. <laughs> so we were getting in our locker room, walking, getting all our gear on, ready to go and get the f- team photo, and walking down the hallway to the team photo. Got the tap on the shoulder. Can you just have a quick run upstairs and have a quick chat to Mike Tannenbaum, the GM? then we're going to release you so I'm packing my bags and getting marched to the, the, to the car park looking out the window watching all the boys getting their team photo taken it was, the second time was probably uh, worse um, because that's when I really thought it was over but it was when I realised that all we are is just hired guns we just we're just expendable
0: While you're at it, please check out the entire back catalogue when you get some time. And if you could, recommend it to a friend or two. That'd be epic. That'd be super. Thank you. And if you hit subscribe on your podcast player, which doesn't cost a cent, you will never, ever miss an episode. In previous series, we have mentioned private Howie Games podcasts. If you have loved ones, friends, someone that has inspired you or someone close to you whose story you want to be recorded for posterity, please send us an email at thehowiegames at hotmail.com. That's Howie, H-O-W-I-E, thehowiegames at hotmail.com. We'll try and organise for me to sit down and have a chat just like a normal episode. It's not for broadcast but for a family memory. Alrighty, back to Tom. Storm Surfers... Mm. Extraordinary You and Ross Clark Jones Just Mm. travelling the world Like those cyclone hunters Looking for big storms To get big waves Um, (laughs) Long term listeners of this show Will know that um, I have two children And I always ask them in the morning Tell them about the person I'm going to go and chat with um, And whoever's most engaged They ask a question so you get my son, who's now six. He was four when this <laughs> show started, Tom. Um, and his name is Mac, but again, long-time listeners Mac. know, but I need to tell you, three years ago he woke up one morning and said, "Ah, Dad, I want to change my name. Okay, what to? It's Big Penguin. So he likes to be addressed as the Big Penguin. The Big <laughs> <laughs> so, don't uh, you love what kids come up with Where it came it's just, from You don't know uh, And it wasn't, just, it wasn't penguin, it had to be big penguin as so well beautiful. It's so, the, it's the so beautiful The big penguin uh, has a question for you I'll turn it up so I hope that you can hear it Tom This is the big penguin uh, this morning When he was in his pyjamas getting ready for school Hi Tom, big penguin here when, when I paddle onto waves I feel brave How do you feel when you paddle onto big waves?
2: Wow. Big penguin. You're a gem. Okay. How do I feel? Uh, every time it's different. Right. You know, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm a, I'm really excited. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm at that really excitable state. Uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's been a while now cause I've been injured and I've been yeah. cu- overcoming injury. So I'm, waiting for that next opportunity to understand myself again. I'm learning about myself, Big Penguin, every time I'm paddling into a big wave. And I love that, just that feeling of dropping into one of nature's most extraordinary creations. And that's a big wave out in the middle of the ocean. I just love that. And a reef out off the coast somewhere, just paddling into a beast of a wave. It's like... And it's going to change and mutate and move around and offer up all this power that's way more powerful than me, Big Penguin. What a lovely question. Thanks, mate.
0: I will pass on that answer to him. Um, Storm surfers, congratulations for someone that works in TV. Um, I look at it through two eyes, the eye of a surfer. and and the eye Mm. of someone that works in television Mm. production and both parts of that blow me away because it's an amazing production (laughs) but surfing-wise, I can't comprehend what you guys Mm. are doing. Mm. Um, You'll have to help me. Was it Cow... Reef off WA there's, It's a part of storm service I tried to find it on the internet last night And I couldn't find it And you were held down And you were held down And you were held down And there's just panic on Ross's face mm. And anyone that knows Ross Clark mm. Jones He's not mm. a man to panic mm. what, what happens in that situation Tom When And I loved your description of what it's like What happens when it goes wrong
2: Wow Yeah that was at Turtle Dove Reef Right Which is uh, off Off uh, WA, WA off, right right um, Geraldton is a long way out so out the middle of the ocean nautical miles oh, out right. off the coast. Yeah, you can't see land anywhere. So you head out there in a boat. Yeah, we're out there and a bunch of a couple of cray fishermen. One of them was completely mad. He's a lovely guy. We call him Scales. Scales. Good name. Good <laughs> old name. Scales. Anyway. Scales got us out there. He knew the wave. He knew it was out there and, and we, we just winged it because we only had two weeks left of the production and we needed to get one big shoot. Budgets, camera, yeah, everything. Yeah, yep, the whole yep. thing was going on. Pulling it all together and we got okay, we're going out, we're going to go and do it. Next minute we're out in the middle of nowhere. So when it all goes wrong, uh, which is going to happen, like we've got to be ready and willing to go down. That's the thing with big wave surfing. Before, you know, I go and propose that I take my newly repaired surgically repaired shoulder and this new knee total knee replacement <laughs> back out to you know some maybe some 20 foot wave <sighs> that I'll I'll have to be in such good shape uh, overly so I I'll got to be willing to take a hit and take a really powerful hit so I I'm I'm in this and that has to happen so the willingness has to be there and the, and the confidence has to be there that I can take care of myself in any situation so the training has to be there uh for me personally some people do their training. We will do it differently. You know what Ross does differently.
0: What does he do? You know,
2: oh, look. Who knows? Who knows? Ross goes around. He drives around a, a track as fast as he can in a car. Right. That's how he gets his stuff moving. Right, that's
0: how he prepares and that's himself.
2: And that's because he lives in, in a constant adrenaline state. You know, so oh, I've had to address that one and uh, because I can't live in an adrenaline state all the time. No. But it's changed the way I look at waves. And big ways in particular and the way I approach it. Uh, and uh, I met up with Ross recently and we were talking about, you know, his experience recently getting pounded in the rocks at Nazare oh, in Portugal. Portugal. And um, that was a pretty uh, – that was an eye open experience for him. And it's actually where he, he's happiest. In those situations
0: Are you happiest in those situations? Well
2: this Life's changed for me now I mean I I probably would have been Real happy in those situations
0: Were you prepared to, Do you see it as We had Robbie Madison on A few weeks ago And oh, he's, pre- yeah. he's prepared To risk his life mm. To do what he loves Yeah, Do you see that You're risking your life In that situation or not Because you From the outside Without the preparation And the equipment mm. I look at it That you're risking your life do for you sure Do you look at it like that or not? Um,
2: I think I don't really, you know what? I've never really looked at it like I was risking my life, but um, you are though. But I am, I am, and now I might be looking at it like that. Uh, and, and Robbie Madison's a classic. He's huh. like what a person asks a question like that.
0: Yeah, uh, he's he's a gem. He's got, yeah, you know he's like. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) he's a freak freak. if you haven't listened to that episode go back and listen to it if if you've got fears that you want to try and confront anyone that Mm. listens to this episode listen to Robbie's episode because there's a man that can confront his fear but but when you come off a wave like you're talking about a turtle Mm. reef Mm. and you're getting pushed down and it's getting darker and Mm. darker Mm. does fear come into it?
2: Um, yeah I think at some point there's that self-preservation because there's a couple of different types of fear really there's a fear that is all-encompassing. It will stop you from doing something that's stupid. It will it will put a boundary between you and mm. like you know when you have got a really badly injured leg and you, you you can't walk and there's a bone sticking out through the skin. You know you're not gonna you're not gonna st- start moving around no. because of the fear of the pain and the, you know that's a that's saving you fear. Well, you're not gonna go and dive into a whole lot of Fire, right? You're not going to just going to run into a, a ball of fire because, really, it's self-preservation. it's yep. a fear that's deep, and it's going to save you. There's the other kind of fear, which is an engagement, that it engages the adrenaline. Huh. It engages you, uh, and it just allows the body to prepare for maybe the fight if you want to call it the fight or, the, or the, the moment to be focused, to take action in order to survive. So I think under the water like that, uh, I'd lost a lot of oxygen because, in fact, in that wipeout, when I hit the water, I lost all my air out of my lungs. So that's why we want to prepare it for big waves by doing empty lung hold downs um, simulation. So we'd empty out all our lungs and then we hold our breath, uh, in a pool, in, in a controlled... Uh, well, we do it in, in a room, sitting down in a chair. So when you're you sitting can,
0: there calmly in a chair, how long can you hold uh, with no air um,
2: in your... No, I am a lung, I think about 96 seconds I do, but it's a long time without air
0: and no, no. actually without water pressing in on the skin. And what happens when all of a sudden you're in the maelstrom of it? I'm sure you can't do 96 seconds then. Mm, in the no.
2: Generally not because you're not so relaxed. Yeah. And you, don't, you haven't prepped for it yeah. you, other than doing the training. And in the situation, every situation is different. And, and really, to be honest, we're not sure, unless we've done a lot of work, how we are going to be uh, in those situations at any given moment. We're slightly different each time. That's my experience. So sometimes I can be under there all relaxed and I can be down there all day. I'm fine. I can just feel like I've got all the time in the world. Other times, in particular that time at Turtle Dove Reef, I run out of patience with myself and started to move towards the surface a little bit more energetic and a bit more of a panic. Once you start moving in that direction, it's so hard to reel it back. In fact, it's impossible, it seems, to reel back that drive to move towards the surface to get a breath. And... uh, I'd done the reflex, the breath reflex a number of times already and I was moving towards the surface and I'd I'd missed the chance at grabbing my inflation on the vest because the actual tag to pull the inflation had been burst away and and torn away from its original position and I couldn't find it. Wow. Spent a lot of time looking for it, too much time. And I think that time, that's when I realised I was in a bit of strife. And I had no air and I was deep and I couldn't see the surface and I had nothing. So I went, I've got to get to the surface no matter what. And at that time I wasn't as calm as what I normally would have been. I took a breath in the white water just before the surface. So I took water in. Uh, As I hit the surface, I had water in my lungs. Wow. And when I got up on the jet ski sled, I was coughing up. Water, so water was coming out of my lungs as I was breathing. It was a very strange feeling. Um, it wasn't wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant, <laughs> it wasn't pleasant no. at all. Yeah, at all. But uh, took me a little bit of time, a little longer than what it showed in the movie. It Looked like I got it back on yeah. the ski pretty quick. Well, it looked like you're saying uh, I'm ready to go, but yeah, I, I figured but at
0: the time that there was it took, a bit of editing.
2: We got out of there, uh, out of the out of the zone. Took about fifteen minutes to kind of get everything out of me, and then I was going, "Oh, we've got to go back out and do it again." So, wow. that's uh, there was a bit of smoke and mirrors there.
0: Whatever pops into your head, I'm not even sure what the questions are going to be, but mm. quick answers on these ones. Okay. Um, wave pools in competition? Yes or no? Yes. Best wave you've ever surfed?
2: Wow. So some
0: good waves. Mm, I bet you have. g pretty good. G-Land, especially mm. for a goofy. Yeah. Variety and length and, oh. Best place to go on a surf trip? I love Hawaii. Mm. Who's the best surf you've
2: ever seen? Overall? Mm. Greatest surfer,
0: I mean, still would be uh, Kelly for me. Do you look at? the likes of John, John and Medina and love aerial surfing or would you prefer the carving surfing that you grew up with? Gosh.
2: Uh, I love the use of carving surfing in order to get to the air. Can you do an air? I've done airs and I've completed them. But they're not a part of my repertoire at all. But that was a while back. <laughs>
0: Do you have fear of sharks in the water? No. Shark Shield that you're involved with, mm. does it work? Yes. Yes. Just to expand on that one, we're doing this and it won't come out until later, but unfortunately yesterday uh, Margaret River, the professional event, was cancelled Yes. due to the... Sighting of eight sharks and a couple of attacks mm. in recent times. Mm. Medina said he didn't want to ever surf there again. Mm. Um, do we need to continue to develop? And you've been involved with sharks yet. I'm mm. not sure if you still are. Yes, I am. Do, do those deterrents work? Because a lot of surfers will listen to that this mm. and they'll think, oh, yeah, does this thing actually work? It, it works. The,
2: look, it's a, ba- oh, a, it's a, it's a, it's a seatbelt. Right. Right?
0: Okay. It's okay. a very
2: well-designed and very effective seatbelt. You know, you know, you can still die in a car accident with a seatbelt on. In fact, you can die from the... the, 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 um, the airbag. Uh, airbag, yeah. right? You can get knocked out. You can get injured. Ironic. But the one thing is with uh, sharks, we're still... You know, they're still going to be there. We just want to put a barrier between us and them. And the shark shield... Uh, develops, you know, I mean emits a perfect um, electrical fence between you and the shark.
0: What is it, dear? Where do you put it on?
2: Uh, it's a decal that that's, uh, you put on the bottom of the surfboard, right. and the electric, electrical unit goes in into um, a, a slot in the back of your deck grip, yep. and you've got about six hours power right. and it battery emits power or battery power. Okay, mm. yeah, right. And ele- emits an electrical field that. It's a, it gets to about about two metres from down the bottom of, underneath the board and about two metres wide. Sharks oh. can't stand it. They just can't stand it. And well, any, you've been in the
0: water. You've gone into shark, mm, for want of a better term, they'd say shark-infested waters Tommy. but the water no. where there's sharks, you paddled out there with one on there, which to me mm. is a pretty good recommendation of the product.
2: Yes. Yeah, well, these were, uh, you know, we all talk about, the kinds of sharks, and in particular the great white, because they're most likely to mistake us for a seal or a large pelagic fish. Mm. Uh, and, and what they do is they really are mistaken us. They find out that we're not their food and they spit us out, generally speaking. I mean, there's been one or two sharks. I mean, very rarely uh, does a shark actually attack and go back for more. Uh, with a human no they don't. very really and uh, we're in fact uh, more likely to be eaten by <laughs> a human <laughs> so uh, yeah. in, in, you know as far as uh, as far as like um, humans are more dangerous towards themselves but yeah, no doubt I think um, uh, with sharks um, the shark shield works on works with great whites uh, independent research shows that um, all the... You know, all inter- you've got to go on the website and have a good look at the, all the independent research. Just so you, m- just get yourself familiar with that independent research because one thing is uh, what I've noticed is, especially with surfers, around the idea of having to buy something to put on your board that's going to, sh- you know, shield you from a, a shark is that there's first of all you've got to put something on your surfboard, which we don't like putting things yeah. on our surfboards. And then, you know, you've got to buy this thing, which, oh, you know, we're always trying... What are they called? Well, this is $600 uh, outlay for uh, shark shield, which we don't really come into contact with many sharks.
0: We really... You're not going to know if it's working, are you? Because a great white could line you up Mm. and your shark shield works... Mm. You don't even know. I've had this shark shield for fifteen years. It's been a waste of time. I've never been attacked by a shark. Yeah, that's the point of it.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's and a so one. but uh, that's the safety measure. We all we'll get into cars and we put the seatbelt on. Yep. You know, and to shield ourselves from each other yeah. and ourselves. Yeah. And I think uh, and our own our own errors. So the one thing is, we'll just never know. And I think I don't. You can go and cull sharks forever. And you still around our coastline, around the Australian coastline, someone's going to come in
0: contact with a shark. Just seems wrong to to mm. cull them. I mm. don't know, yeah, that's a mm. whole other issue. Mm. Hey, you've been so very good with your time, Tom. We normally finish the show, and we have I'm stoked that a lot of families listen. To this. a lot of people listen to it with their kids, and yeah. they send me emails, and it's really right. nice. You know, my my son it was listening to Animers, and he wants to be a cyclist, and he went and rode his bike the next day, etc as an athlete, it doesn't mean to be a surfer and you're a, it's been obvious in this podcast that you're a man that really thinks about his answers and takes the time to answer them to the fullest extent of your abilities. What's the key for kids growing up to be successful in their chosen sport? In your opinion. Study, you know, the,
2: study the history of the sport. Study what you love uh, in others who do the sport. Really study that and, and be inspired by that. I think that'll enrich your experience. And wherever we can enrich our experience with what we do, I highly recommend it. I think uh, just to go out and do it on a whim um, doesn't really allow it to last. Right. Oh, that's my experience. That's great
0: advice. Mm. I, I finished this now. Normally, is to finish it by saying thank you. Here we go. These are new edition. You've been very, very generous with your time, so this is almost taking the piss (laughs) how little I can offer you back. But (laughs) uh, this is only the uh, limited edition. Limited edition. Limited edition Howie Games bumper sticker is presented to you right here. Now, the Howie Games. There it is. You can put that on one of your big charging guns. You can put it on the back of your car. You can that's put mean. it in a bin, but that <laughs> is that. A, a tiny. Oh. Thank you, and that's about all I can no, provide no, with no, that's you. That's fine. Yeah, no,
2: that's fine. How are you? Yeah. You got it, and um, yeah, all the best out there with whoever comes along. Yeah, mate. Listen, I, I really for the yeah. podcast. I'll be I'll be checking it out and. And listening up.
0: Yeah, have a listen. I love podcasts. Have a listen. There's a few episodes I think you Mm. will enjoy, but I know I've pursued you around the world. I emailed you from an airport. You are in an airport. Mm. I emailed you from Costa Rica. You were somewhere else. Mm. Um, So it's taken a while to organise, but I was excited about sitting down and chat with you and you've lived beyond any expectation I could hope for. Thanks for your honesty, (laughs) Tommy. It's a pleasure. Um, And good luck from here on in, whatever life involves Mm. with you. Yeah. Good on you. Pleasure. Thank you so much to Tom Carroll for being so incredibly honest and open and sharing his incredible story on the Howie Games, the good and the not-so-good. Hope you took something from it. Up next, our surprise superstar guest will appear on Thursday, March the 28th. Until then, peace and love.
1: And we can do it if we try, try, try If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener